recent season of Picard. I'm behind on the most recent season of Stranger Things and Umbrella Academy. And I'm, I'm plowing through it. I haven't even touched House of the Dragon. And I'm plowing through all the stuff, but there's so much. It's amazing, but I'm like, ah, I can't keep up. It's like you own a game store and constantly have to be doing like nine things at once in order to achieve all of your goals. Oh, yeah. Well, so I was talking to Alexis last, you know, she's like, well, what'd you do last night? Anything exciting? You know, I worked at the store in the morning. Um, and uh, I got out about 1 o'clock, and Kelly and I, we did a couple things and everything. Hung out with a couple of guys online. We played a couple of maps of Vermintide. Uh, nice. We're, yeah, we're having fun with Vermintide right now. And then they're, they're morning people, right? So they're like, oh, it's 10.30, we're tired, we got to go to bed. So I found myself sitting last night, and I was ordering products from the store and creating new products in rain. So what did I do on a Saturday night? Got a little video gaming, and then I went back to work and... And, and, and creating projects and trying to, products and trying to get them all set up. I found a couple of new things, though, so I'm kind of excited. Oh, maybe we can talk about those on the podcast, which, hello, and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, your source for tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois. When did beyond. you hit record? Was all that rambling I just did all recorded? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, God. I won't use all of it. Don't worry. Okay. There's so much good content that I have just hidden away now. Uh, I'm your host, John Parrott, and with me today is Just Jamie. Hello, everybody. This is another Just Jamie episode. I know we just had one, but with with the news that is coming out, I wanted to have a focused conversation about uh, ownership and and being a store owner during times when things can get a little hairy in the industry. And we've obviously talked about that multiple times, so we want to have another Just Jamie episode to kind of get the, the store owner's view on that. Ooh, yes. whatever could you be talking about? Oh, John? we'll get to it here pretty soon. All but right, before right, we right. do, let's go ahead and talk about, hey, how was the store last week? Because, wow. Closed. Yeah, Most of the week, yeah. Um, inventory. Inventory. We have to do an inventory for the IRS. It's part of the IRS code. We have to report um, what our starting inventory is and what our ending inventory is. So one time per year, um, every store is supposed to do an inventory of physical goods. And it's interesting because, you know, we talked about before, this is like the third business that we've started. And at a restaurant, you don't really have changing inventory. You buy your equipment, you buy your pots and pans, you buy your, your refrigeration stuff. And then it kind of just stays the same. You just kind of maintain that stuff. You don't, you know, usually don't add a lot to it. And you can't inventory food because it goes bad. You mm-hmm. got to throw it away. So we didn't really have to do a lot there. At the computer company at Mavidia, we didn't really keep inventory either. Same thing. We bought desks and chairs and computers for staff. And then the only time it changes is if we hired somebody. But we didn't inventory we didn't keep an inventory of parts because when we we did something for a client we would bring in just enough to fulfill their needs and sell it to them and everything no now i have a retail store and it's a whole different ball game and i had to learn an entirely different set of rules around inventory so um monday through wednesday we counted twenty three thousand six hundred and eighty seven things that exist in our point of sale system i love that song in rent it's such a good song it really calls to me (laughs) very nice 
Um, remind me to tell you my rent story at some point in the future. Sure thing. It's a, it's rambling. We're not going to do that today. <laughs> oh, no. We're all focused in this podcast. Yeah. We know that. We, we have no rambling happens it. ever in Red Raccoon nope. Radio. Nope. Um, no, but we, we had three teams of people during the day and one team of people at night doing nothing but counting, right? Alexis and I did all the board games, and um, Jesse and Jessica did all of the miniatures games and war games and Gundam and stuff. Katie and Brittany um, drew the short straw this year and had to count all the paints and paint accessories. That's a rough one. Yeah, there, there was some animosity, joking animosity in today's uh, staff meeting about that, I believe. That's a, that's a rough category. Jesse yeah. and I did it last year, so I... You know, a good leader um, never assigns somebody else to do things that they haven't done or wouldn't do themselves. I call that the Optimus Prime rule, but yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, last year, Jesse and I rolled out, and we did uh, <laughs> we did the paints and paint accessories. And this year, they got to do the paint and paint accessories. And next year, we'll assign it to somebody else. Although, I think Ryan ends up maybe with the worst one every time because Ryan and Ariel did dice. And the dice is a rough category, too, because some of the sets, we have, like, up to 20 sets. And you've got to try to find, like, okay, of these, you know, red pearlized dice, where are the 18 sets that we're supposed to have in the inventory? Can you find all 18? Um, the worst red, well, um, where's Waldo possible? <laughs> it, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. But, you know, we, along the way, we discover things that are wrong. We discover missing inventory. We discover extra inventory always happens. We discover things in the wrong categories so that it kind of messes our reporting. We, we try to do reporting to say what's happening in the store and how are things working. We find a lot of instances of things that are missing their barcode. And potentially that means that it could be rung up under the wrong thing and sold incorrectly or not rung up at all. Or it's just a lot easier to be able to scan a barcode and as we're bringing people out. So so we uh, inventory is like our opportunity to fix things. But it's three days of, man, by the end of the day, your brain is just fried. Yep. You know? And um, board games seems like it should be one of the easier categories, but there's so many board games. There's so many board games. Which is one of the reasons why Red Raccoon is great. You guys have the selection, and I believe you even brought it up in today's meeting, like you have a selection beyond anything else in Central Illinois, really. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I, you know what I should have looked at? I should have looked and seen how many unique items there were. We, I know there was 23,000 things, but how many unique things exist at the store? I did look one time sometime last year, and it was like 5,000. 5,000 different things that we could ring somebody up for that were in stock, not... not Just it, available to order. Yeah. Yeah, because we've got... God, we've got thousands of things at this point that exist in our computer system, but we just can't get them right now. You know, and because and everything... The, the, the industry can be so cyclical that we'll have a plethora of something and then we'll have a dearth at the same time, you know. And um, this time last year we were swimming in Pokemon product. And it was everywhere. We had to clean out, like, okay, let's move the puzzles over there so we could put Pokemon over here because there was so much we couldn't... Um, we had to organize it to find things. Now we're back to we can't get boxes of Pokemon again. And, and so it's, uh, it's it can be very swingy in this industry at some points. Yeah. And, and I don't know why... But nobody has boxes of Pokemon. It's not like we don't have them. Nobody has them. I was talking to Zach from Zeke's Comics and Games in Washington. We chat all the time. And he's just like, 
man, I wish I could get anything for Pokemon. And we still got some stuff, but it's getting slim because... Whew. Have you investigated Team Rocket? I know that they have a... Okay, I didn't know if you were going to get that vibe. All right, I'm glad we got, I got that too. Yes, good, yes, good, good. yes. But no, yeah. Uh, we were going to do... Uh, Jesse and I were going to dress up as Jesse and James for uh, uh, Halloween one year. I think that could still happen. I don't think there's anything stopping this from happening. I think uh, that we should finding a wig that would actually fit my giant head. I think is actually what slowed it all down. I know the people that you hire. They are the people that could find you that wig that you're looking for. <laughs> if not, probably make you're it. You're gonna find a, a purple wig with just the right drape. I have red raccoon ears because of your staff members. Like, <laughs> That's it's, true. It's that not is. out of the I realm just, of possibility. I, I just positioned my ears the other day. I, I got to put them up in a place of honor on my yes. desk too. They they are right next to my desk. Uh, I did not get into the photo where we were. You were all wearing them in front. I, I didn't get a chance to do that, but they still hold a. Funny story on that one is I, I asked Catalyst Construction, who is doing the build-out on the building, to if we could borrow some hard hats to take pictures with. And um, I just thought it'd be fun when we did that groundbreaking thing. And then uh, we got so crazy busy, and, and then Ariel made all the ears for everybody. We never even touched the hard hats. We never Nobody ever put on a single hard hat the entire day. We should have gotten the ears over the hard hats. Are the ears on the hard hats? So That's what I'm saying. Glue That's... the ears to the hard hats and then give them back to Catalyst when we're done? Exactly. I'm sure they won't mind. <laughs> I'm sure it'll add some flair to their day. I've probably gotten billed for that one, and that's probably a, <laughs> that's valid. Probably a, probably a bill I didn't want to have. That's fair. There's enough bills. I don't need new bills. I feel like hard hats would be much more expensive than I give them credit for properly. Probably so. Yeah. I mean, probably, you know, um, my dad and uh, all three of my brothers were welders, uh, and hard hats i know at least from my brother mike uh, mike and philip both weld water towers and i know mike had at least one instance where the hard hat definitely saved his life when something fell from you know 150 feet above him mm-hmm. they bounced off that hard hat if it, the hard hat had not been there mike might not be here so well uh, i'm really glad that we're on a podcast that we don't make tangents on like we stay focused yes, on that was very focused on hard hats. very focused on hard hats are important um getting back to gaming have you had the chance to get anything on your table recently oh since last time we did a podcast have i played anything um i got in a few games of dominion playing with dominion online um kelly and i took uh, Marvel Ultimate Uno with us. We got out of town for a few days, and we took Marvel Ultimate Uno with us to play because we're we got picked. We're like one of twenty stores in America that got randomly picked by Mattel to host this Marvel Ultimate Uno event, and we're, yeah. so it's coming up in um, either end of January, early February. And, and uh, Red Raccoon Calendar is available at RedRaccoonGames.com. Can't think it off the top of my head. Too much stuff going on, and we but we never cracked the box. So Marvel Ultimate Uno is like each person has a starting deck themed around one of the Marvel superheroes. And then they each one of them, you're still playing Uno, but then there's a couple special cards in each deck to give you special powers based on that character. And the base game comes with four characters, and then there are add-on packs you can get to add more characters to the to the to the box. But we never got it to the table. I wanted to try it out. Like, how is this different from regular Uno? You know, Uno's been a staple in, uh, for a lot of people growing up as a, as a good kind of gateway game for learning numbers and colors if you're a kid, and uh, sometimes for if you're an adult too. And uh, 
but never made it to the table. I did get a... What was the game that you and I played? I think it was right after we did the last podcast. Was it Downforce? Yes, I think we played... No, that's been a little while. We played Downforce when we were supposed to play D&D that a few weeks back. Was that? Did we do a podcast since then? Did we, we even talk about Downforce? Though? I don't think we did. That was fun. I it's enjoyed that game. game. Uh, if you ever get a chance, Downforce to me is uh, is the best game to introduce people who want to be able to play and not worry about necessarily losing because they don't know how to play. Um, one of the things I love about Downforce, which is a F1 racing game, is that you bet on cars, and while you control a car, you own a car, it's not required for your car to win for you to win the game. There's other ways, other strategies of being able to come out a success uh, in the game. So I learned you about... You won the game that we played, and your car did not win. That's true, but you, I knew you who actually, to bet on. Your car didn't come till, until third. Yes, but I knew who to bet on and when to bet on them throughout the race, and mm-hmm. so that was really fun. But you told me that Downforce is actually kind of a a light version of another game called... Formula D. Yes. Yeah, Formula D is uh, Fantasy Flight, well, or one of the brands of, of Asmodee. And it is also... It could be F1 racing, but there was also packs where you could get, like, street racing cars. Interesting. And it's a, uh, it's a dice rolling game where you're shifting gears and each gear that you decide to be at the beginning of your turn you decide what gear you're going to be in are you going to stay in the gear you were in last turn or you can go up or down one gear just like driving a car and then there's a die associated with each gear and the numbers of course go up and down first gear is a d4 that only has ones and twos on it second gear is a d6 that has one through four on it so you pick your gear then you roll the die and that's how you move your car and then it has some pretty really interesting mechanics um, where you, when you go into a turn, you have to slow down into turns, obviously, or in reality, you would smash into the wall, which has happened to plenty of race car drivers. But in, in the game, it controls that by, it says, in this zone that it's marked out in hashes, you must be in this zone two turns or you must you must hit this many spaces in the zone to show that you're under control enough while going through that curve. And at the base game, there's a there's kind of an easy play level that's really easy for anybody to pick up on. It can play up to 10 players, which is another reason why wow. I like it too. Um, it is pretty easy to teach anybody, but then it can get way out of control because then there's like a hyper-realism mode where um, every lap you roll a die to see what the track conditions are and then depending on the track conditions you may want to pit and change out your tires and you can burn up your transmission or you can burn up your brake pads or all these different things that you can do and if you take too much damage your car's just out of the race um, so it's it's got like a cool easy to learn play and then you can get kind of crazy and one of our customers told me that there used to be, this is an older game, that there used to be a league that was played at their company, which is a very large insurance company that happens to be located in Bloomington. And <laughs> One they, out of two guesses. Yeah. And they had like uh, like 60 people playing in this league that they would get together and they would do like an entire, um, you know, like a NASCAR kind of series of you scored this many points for your placement over the course of uh, an entire season. It, so you can get hyper-realistic, but there's also a kind of a fun, easy-to-play version that's just kind of cool, too. Now, for those of you that are listening and are thinking, wow, this is a really cool game, 
I felt the exact same way. I was like, this is this is the next level of something that I would truly enjoy. But then here comes the problem with being friends with seasoned gamers, people that have been in the hobby for a long time. Because if I went into Red Raccoon and asked to order this game, would I be able to, Jamie? I think you can get the base game. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I think you can get the base game, and you can get um, six, five or six map packs. And each map is two-sided, so you get two tracks for each map pack. So I, I have to double check, but I think you can still get the base game. However, the seasoned part, right? Um, and I am unfortunately more seasoned than I would like at certain times. Uh, John's a little more seasoned as of today than he was as last Thank podcast. You. Yes. Uh, but there, the original game was Formula Day, Formula D E, and it was a French release, and that's the version I actually own. And there's 12 or 16 different map packs that were released under Formula Day. Some sort of trademark or copyright or licensing thing happened when it came to America, and I got re- renamed Formula D. And it, um, not all those map packs exist. So some of those map packs that never got reprinted in America go for $100 a map now. And yeah, and I bought them all on a used board game auction. For a hundred bucks, the base game and all twelve of the maps that I have were a hundred dollars. So sometimes auctions are amazing. We'll have to talk about that sometime. Yeah, uh, we we do have a board game auction. We're trying to figure out how to get it off the ground. We were going to do it last August, and then the software wasn't working right, and we canceled it. And then the holidays got here, so it is something we are planning to bring back. Hopefully, March April timeframe. Um, so we, because we have a ton of games that we want to auction off from the store that are old demo games that we opened up, mm-hmm. that you know some of them are just not for sale anymore, and uh, and and then we we, I'm trying to find a good piece of software to run it because the way that we've done it as a store has always been so chaotic and it didn't really give a great customer experience, and people want us to do the auctions online, it's kind of hard. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Like, how do you control? Especially if there's bidders online versus bidders in the store. Maybe if it's only online, I, I got to figure some stuff out. I want it's, it's another future project for future Jamie to have to deal with. Maybe we should make this just an ultra like fancy event where people have to wear suits and dresses, and, and we have an actual like they have paddles exactly. Yeah, give, give auction. Yes, yes. Yeah, because I've got some games like you know I love Shadow Hunters, but my Shadow Hunters never gets played. And maybe if I put it in somebody else's hands, because it doesn't, you can't make it get it anymore. And I've seen it going for upwards of two hundred bucks online. Maybe somebody that actually is going to play the game would want to bid on it. Well, we will try and figure that out later on this year. Maybe in a new building. Who knows? Maybe. Well, maybe. we'd have more space. That's true. For sure, the basement would be way more open for it. Yeah. All right, we've we've dilly dallied, we've danced around it. Um, <laughs> in the last two weeks, many of you that follow the the hobby scene that we all love and enjoy have seen a news article that has spawned even more and more interesting news from it, and that again brings us to talk about our favorite people, Wizards of the Coast. Now, I think maybe we should phrase it as Hasbro. Should we say Hasbro? I think we should say Hasbro. Okay, we can we can take it all the way back up to the source if yeah. we want to. So, 
I have, we were just getting inklings of what was happening the last time we recorded the podcast. And yeah. though it seems like it's been a month worth of news, um, it's only been uh, a short amount of time between these podcasts where all this news has come out. But I'll try and give the best recap I can. Normally, I try and, and bring in some sort of specialist, but I thought with Jamie being the store owner, this would be an, an excellent topic for us to cover for quite some time. So from what I understand, and Jamie, correct me if I get any of this wrong that you know of. Uh, back in, I believe, is it D&D 2? 3. In D&D 3, uh, there was something created called uh, the Open Gaming License. Mm-hmm. And what this primarily did was state that this was a game for everyone to play in. And that your there were certain rights that were being given away by Dungeons & Dragons to allow people to explore this hobby using the rule set, using what was known as the standard rules, uh, what's the D stand the SRD. for? SRD. SRD, um, standard rules direction, something like that. I don't remember sense. what the D stands for right now. Anyways, the SRD was a document that said, hey, use the core elements of Dungeons and & Dragons and build your own things. Mm-hmm. And many of us who are in this hobby have definitely seen in Kickstarters, whenever you go to, to uh, big cons or things like that, people publishing their own books, their own stories, their own ideas within the D&D universe that they are profiting from. And the the OGL protected them from having to feel like there was any sort of licensing disagreements of them using content from D&D. Many people have made a lot of amazing content and business models. And just to give you some examples... Paizo, Pathfinder is basically, I've always told people that, that the original Pathfinder was basically D&D 3.75, right? Mm-hmm. Green Ronin has got some amazing stuff. Yeah. Goodman Games, uh, Modifius. I, I mean, there's there's a tons of them, right? I was just showing somebody yesterday that Fantasy Flight Games um, had created a Adventures in Rokugan. So you could play... Um, fifth edition, you could play uh, L5R, Legend of the Five Rings, on top of D&D. There is an Adventures in Middle-Earth, which is done as Tolkien, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, using the 5e rule set. So if you know Dungeons & Dragons, there's all these other worlds that people have created that exist to be played on top of playing a D20 fifth edition set. So this Omen Gaming License has not been touched since its first iteration with third generation Dungeons & Dragons. We are now currently in the fifth, looking at a, a odd transition to... Sixth edition. To a sixth edition that is just going to be called 1D&D, which is looking to be more of a fluid documentation of rules and updates mm-hmm. uh, going forward. However, because of this change, it seems that Hasbro... Wizards of the Coast or D&D itself has decided to make some changes. Now, they've cited that one of the reasons they wanted to do this was because technology is changing and how people consume their content and media is changing. And Hasbro is putting a lot of money into making D&D a larger scale brand. We have a movie that for all intents and purposes, I have not heard anyone dunking on lately. Like People are more excited than they are worried about this movie. There's a, a it's a Dungeons and Dragons movies with a lot of A list talent. Yes, right. Yes. Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Hugh Grant. I mean, there's 
There's hints at other people that they're not telling us yet that are going to show up in the movie. Definitely some some little teasers to probably look for in the background. Yeah. Um, so that's been interesting to say the least. They also recently bought D&D Beyond, which we covered heavily inside of this podcast, uh, which is you know a main playing tool for, for playing Dungeons & Dragons. And it already has this content preloaded. You can build your whole your own homebrewed things on it. It was great. But also looking at things like blockchain, NFTs, things along those lines, it would make sense that something like this would need some sort of update in order to keep up with the times. Yes. So io9, a website that's connected to uh, a whole network, Gizmodo, um, got a early advanced copy, a leaked release of what this this updated version of the OGL is going to be. Mm -hmm. And while it does look at a few good things, such as uh, they want to make sure that no content built within D&D has uh, any sort of um, racial or stereotypical undertones to it, which... Or hate. Or hate. Any sort of hate speech. Hate hate speech kind of covers an entire gamut of things, right? Which, considering the news that has come out about some D&D products lately... I think is a good thing for them to be focused on. That's fair. That's um, fair. And I know that a lot of people are saying, well, they just want to make you know the content. They want to be the only person making racist content. I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, I think that they are they're just trying to be better about it. They're realizing that it is a flaw, and they want to be good and, and better for society with it. Um, and they address things like, you can't make NFTs off stuff that we own, because we own it, and, and yeah. stories like that. But the issues started coming up with... Well, before we go to the issues, the real okay. issues, can I add a couple more details? Please do. Of historical details. Uh, yes. So going back to the beginning, TSR, Gary Gygax creates um, Chainmail, which is the original rule set, and it was really designed to be mostly miniatures warfare, right? Yes. Chainmail then evolves into the original Dungeons and Dragons, and it gets so popular that he creates uh, this this company called TSR. As it went along, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was always kind of supposed to be this thing where game masters could create content for themselves. Well, even way back in the day, people would say. I created this whole world and I did all this work and I made these maps and I made all this content and people even back in the 70s were trying to sell that stuff that they had made. And TSR was famous for suing everybody who tried to do anything associated. Oh, yeah. Lawsuits. And most people would just cave and, and, you know, they'd get a cease and desist order or something. And most people would just cave um, as it went along and take the products off the market, stop selling it, whatever. Then there was one company that was started. He guy created a whole world, and they tried to sue him. And it turns out his past life, he had been an intellectual property lawyer. Ooh. So he was like, nay, nay, you, shall, you can't sue me under this because there are copyright laws in America that say rules cannot be copywritten. Neither can things like recipes. Recipes can't be copywritten either. The expression of the rules and the expression of a recipe can be but there's some weird, rule, crazy, finicky rules that there's a bunch of YouTube videos that y'all can go out and watch. And if you want to deep dive into that, there's several lawyers that are out there that will break your brains as you try to understand how stupid some of these laws actually are. 
before that lawsuit where TSR was trying to sue this guy, before it ever resolved, TSR became an insolvent company, which is how Wizards of the Coast buys them. And Wizards of the Coast, to get rid of this lawsuit and make this go away, that's when they release the OGL. Okay, that's that's where the original one came from, because they, and partially because they also recognize that if TSR, as popular as they had been, and y'all, there's some cool documentaries that are out there that talk about the early days of TSR and Gygax moving from Wisconsin to, uh, he's got this crazy house in Malibu and money can make people do weird things, right? Yep. Um, so you watch some of those two to get a background on this, but they, they kind of had this idea that if TSR was not solvent, as popular as D&D and as fast as it had been growing in the 70s and 80s, maybe something different needed to change. And so some of the original people who started Paizo were actually original Wizards of the Coast people. And um, when they created the OGL, part of it was they realized that they needed an even bigger ecosystem. So that TSR, as much product as they put out, there still wasn't enough to build this kind of really immersive worlds and everything. They needed the whole gaming platform to gain a significantly larger user base and more traction so that, you know, uh, the old saying is uh, rising tide lifts all ships. Right. And that's really what the OGL did, in my opinion, is it gave Paizo, who started off as a company that just made um, worlds for D&D for third edition and 3.5, it just gave them the ability to say, let's put some time and effort and let's make these worlds and let's do this really detailed things. We're going to build all these options and publish these books. And it, it gave all these companies the kind of that start that they needed to to turn what for a lot of us is just a hobby into an actual profession. Not everybody's been able to do it. Some people have tried to do it along the way. But I, I just wanted to add a little more context as to no. why the OGL uh, was important back there because it, it really opened up and broadened this world where as more stuff was made and more people were brought into our hobby, everybody got more successful as we went along. And then with technology coming forward, one of the pieces of important technology that you didn't talk about when you were listing NFTs and stuff like that is the rise of YouTube. Yes. And YouTube, in my opinion, has made all the difference in the world because shows like Critical Role, we talk about them a lot, we talk about Dimension 20, um, all these streaming shows that are out there have captured a generation of of millennials and Gen Z who grew up watching with YouTube as opposed to my generation where you watch whatever the five channels that were on TV were going to actually <laughs> broadcast were, right? Right, right, right. Um, and so people could watch all these. Now we've got B-list celebrities and then A-list celebrities playing um, Dungeons and & Dragons and you could watch it all the time. And D&D went from being something which was I was telling somebody at the staff that um, we we used to play in the library in junior high, and we got thrown out of the library because um, it involved dice, and if it had dice, it must be gambling, right? And so that's how kind of this culture zeitgeist is like, I was I was a nerd and a geek growing up, and um, there was no girls in the library. There was a bunch of dudes playing D&D. D&D was hidden. It and was. And now it's becoming... It's, it's, it's totally mainstream. It's visible. Hence our conversation at the at the beginning when we were talking about Geek TV is it's hard to keep up with everything now. There's yeah. so much coming out because, um, you know, I talked about this before. 
um, who, what is Hollywood filled with, right? Hollywood is all the former um, band and theater geeks that, <laughs> that, that I was part of. Um, growing up, who went to Hollywood, and some there's beautiful people out there, but they were probably band and theater geeks back there too, because there's plenty of non-beautiful people that exist in Hollywood that are some of my favorite actors. Um, and uh, but they're coming out saying, "Yeah, we were geeks too, and we loved playing all these games." We've talked about Vin Diesel teaching um, Dame Judi Dench how to yep. play D and D with yep. her kids, and and um, Kristen Bell and um, what's her husband name? Death Shepard. Yes. They talked about, somebody asked them what they were doing to do after a red carpet event for like the Oscars or something. They're like, ah, I think we're going to go back to the house and play. Because, you know, we're not really into the going to the parties anymore. And they were going back to the house to meet some friends to play games again. Hollywood has finally just embraced that they're a bunch of geeks just like the rest of us. And that has contributed significantly to our the board game industry and specifically Dungeons and Dragons. Which brings us now back to the OGL. Yes. Because, Sorry, I wanted to add more context. No, that color is actually very important because what the next few things the OGL did goes from taking something that was made to be a liberating experience where everyone could join into the profe- into the hobby together and prosper from it to what appears a refocusing on only making money for Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. Because two of the big factors that came out of the OGL was that if you make a certain amount of money off D&D content, it is going to be owed a royalty to Wizards of the Coast. Right. Uh, I believe that threshold was $750,000. Every dollar that you made above $750,000, you owed, and and importantly, every every dollar of revenue you made, not profit, right. of revenue you made, made above $750,000, you owed 25% to Wizards of the Coast. And the other thing is they put out there that if you publish your own homebrew content out, even if you don't have people pay money for it, um, they are technically, because it's built within the 5e system, they are the owners of it and can redistribute it as they see fit. Yeah, that one was... So I think that there was more speculation on that part of it than actual fact. I I think that that was definitely the news story going around. But when you talk to some of the lawyers um, who really kind of dived into it, they don't think that was the original intent. Because, and, and, and God, there's been so many conflicting stories about what it said. And, and I tried to read it, but it was 900 pages, this new document. It's and very I, intense. I couldn't get through the legalese on some of it because this paragraph referred backwards to that paragraph, which referred to some code that I don't even know what that code means. And uh, I think, though, there, there was a thing with if you did sell your product and you sold above a dollar total, and I think it was 25000 you had to register your product with Wizards of the Coast and provide reports to them of how much money you had made. And the part where I think the speculation came from is that part of that registration was you had to provide to them a copy of whatever it was that you had made that you were now selling out there, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the intent of that, and I think a couple of the lawyers that were reading it agreed with me, was not that Wizards of the Coast wanted to steal anybody's content. 
it was that they wanted to be able to track it all so that they could do their own internal calculations to see if you were fudging your numbers and if you actually owed them money. I think that that was an accounting thing for them trying to track this idea of everybody owes them some royalties for having created this system that, that you know, they, they said in one of the press releases or one of the places originally that only 20 companies in the world, their estimate was only 20 companies in the world made above $750,000 of profit on the system per year. So they're saying the every man is not really affected. is not really affected by this, except for you'd have to file your reports with them and give them a copy, would not be affected by this. Only these like 20 companies that were actually really cashing in. And, um, but I think that the part where you had to provide them a report so they could do the accounting and try to do that, I think that's where the speculation about them wanting to steal everybody's content came from. And I would also say that, and again, I, I was, I've read through the, what, what came with the OGL 1.1 is what it's called, uh, was a bit of a fact sheet at the very beginning that kind of described some of the changes they were making in their own words, not in the legalese that was coming out. And from what I've kind of gathered from that is something like D&D Beyond has a whole entire section where you can implant your own homebrew content and then make it public for other people to use. Now, technically, you're uploading that content on D&D Beyond, on their server, on their information. There is nothing, though, stopping somebody from taking that content and putting it in their own personal uh, sales. Uh, for example, if someone were creating their own book, they could go into D&D Beyond, pull a bunch of homebrew items or magic or whatever, put it in their book, technically sell it, because they're, the open gaming license doesn't really cover that. And then as you, are you the owner of it if it's on D&D Beyond? So I think part of that legalese was also to... I'm not going to use the word protect, but maybe secure some homebrew content as this is being put into our system so that we own it so that you just can't reproduce other people's idea and make money. Now, I'm a corporate shill. Uh, Jamie and I very much <laughs> differ sometimes in how we look at at how D&D needs to be. Uh, Jamie's very much in the sense of give me books, give me paper, give me pencil. I don't need much else. I am a, as a like technology focused person love D&D beyond i love the idea of interconnecting things of creating different technologies i want wizards of the coast to build their own like basically their own microsoft 365 suite of D&D tools that can all be interconnected to one another and that was one of the reasons why this made a lot of sense to me and that they were wanting you know some money for some of the content they're making because i think they're trying to make a push and in fact we don't even have to assume that the ceo of was it, I think it was the CEO of Dungeons & Dragons. I think of it was Wizards the, of the CEO Coast. of Wizards of the Coast. Yes. There was a conference call for their Q4, Q3, I think. It was at the time, the Q3 re results. They're doing their reporting to Wall Street. Here's what's going on for Hasbro stock. And I think that um, the CEO, the lady that's the CEO of... of Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast. No, actually, I think it was the CEO of, of Hasbro. He's the one who said... D and D has not been monetized enough. Mm -hmm. His name is Chris something. We, we're we're doing a lot of vagaries here, but it's all it's all. I tried to look guys. it up. You guys have yeah. Google, right? Yeah, yeah. You can you can track down this name and the exact. What I think it actually came from the the, the CEO of Dungeons Dragons. Uh, I I saw a pull quote from her the other day when I was doing research on this. Okay. But basically thinking Dungeons and Dragons can make more money, and I know that a lot of people then look at that and say. 
well then they're wanting to to try and get as much money as they can they're wanting to milk the user well and let's let's talk about what's coming right yes so we know that D&D is on a tear of popular popularity right here in Bloomington Normal every high school in town has a D&D club now um, at least two of the junior highs are already have D&D clubs as well. So in addition to the high school, the junior highs have them, and a third junior high is trying to get their started right now as well. Because teachers look at it as the same way that a lot of us do, is what an amazing thing it is for communication skills and expressing creativity and imagination and everything. So the teachers are all in. Yeah, They're all in on using games to further personal development of students as a former teacher i can tell you anything that would get kids more comfortable with talking out loud i would have loved i would have accepted i would have lauded yes um and so we've got this DD is on a roll we know that from hasbro um, and with the death of toys r us the toy side of hasbro is not growing in fact it's actually stagnating some because they lost their their number one place to push new product they lost in Toys R Us. And Toys R Us is trying to come back a little bit, but it's not the same Goliath that it was in the toy industry that it used to be. Um, we also know we have a D&D movie that's going to drop. New TV show. Yeah, it's been announced. a new TV show just got approved for uh, on Paramount. Um, so we know both of those things are coming. So the th- making these changes now before they're hoping that this movie is going to be successful. And if this movie is successful, are we going to get a whole new wave of D&D players who have never touched the game before into the stores to start playing D&D? It certainly worked when Pokemon Go came out uh, as a phone app, right? Pokemon was something we had in the store and a few people played. And, you know, it's popular and, and everybody grew up watching the cartoons and the movies and stuff. But when Pokemon Go came out, an entire new generation of kids discovered what a fun game it is. And the Pokemon Go app directly translated into increase in the card game again. So I don't think that it's unreasonable of Hasbro to say... We made a good movie. We spent the money to make a good movie, a good representation after multiple bad um, D&D movies, which I still love to watch anyway, but they're bad. <laughs> um, and we're, we're going to make the money to do a real TV show. And, and look at all the stuff that's happened with the Rings of Power and the Lord of the Rings movies and the Mar- all the geek stuff that we were talking about earlier. I don't think it's unreasonable to say if this movie is executed well, they're going to see new people in there. So if you're going to make your changes to your licensing on this stuff and put everything in place for a new generation, now is 100% the time to do it. Absolutely. And I would say nothing in this gaming license ever said, stop making your own content, stop building homebrew stuff, stop you know, stop playing the way that you want it to. only if you wanted to sell it. Exactly. It's only if you wanted to monetize. And I think that in my heart of hearts, and again, I'm a corporate shill, I just want... I want corporations to have so much money that they can just say, what can we do for good? And I know that doesn't work. I understand I'm a flawed individual for thinking that. But there's a part of me in my head that says, if somebody was making over $750,000, it's not necessarily they just wanted royalties from that. They wanted it to be identified so they could say, how can we partner with you? 
because that's what they did with Critical Role. They, you know, and and critical because it came out that the, the the some of the companies were contacted ahead of time. Yeah, because the leak Gizmodo specifically said the leak did not come from Watsi. It came from one of the partners that they had reached out to. They were reaching out to everybody ahead of time, saying, "Hey, it is in your best interest to sign this deal now, because we're going to offer you a much cheaper royalty rate." They were trying to get everybody locked in the contracts before the OGL came out so that um, we're going to give you a sweetheart deal now so that when it comes out, all these publishers weren't going to protest about it. Exactly. And that failed epically. It did. Everything about this failed. Even though there were some good things that I agree with you that, um, you know, stopping NFTs and blockchain and some of that stuff, because we have seen a ton of art stolen from the original artists um, and and resold to other people as original NFTs and stuff like that. We've seen a lot of bad things that have happened the last two years with NFTs and blockchain, right? And I will say that it also then reduces confusion on what you can get away with. So, for example, there was a Jordanovsky's Dune. It's a book of the original artists, what they had planned for the Dune movie and just it's wild and crazy stuff. Some group had bought that, bought the, the, the book, thinking they had bought the rights to Dune and were going to like make a TV show and make all of this. Oh, no. And they did not realize that they were just buying a book. They weren't buying any digital rights. But in this open world where NFTs are such a wild, wild west and blockchain is something that's still trying to be defined, if you don't have clear legalese about it right away, people are going to make assumptions and do things that then you have to fix up and clean up in the future. Because one of the key provisions in this new this new way that they were going forward is they were going to say no one may publish any new content under OGL1. Correct. 1.0A specifically, right? All new content is going to be governed by the new document. The old document was 900 or nine, 900 words. Mm-hmm. The new document's 900 pages or something something like that. It was, yeah. And, um, and the new document is going to cover all new things going forward. And so some of the publishers, of course, have things in the pipeline that they've already written and made. And it just hasn't shipped yet. Kickstarters haven't been fulfilled. And the backlash was swift and oh. violent. And even at one point, um, one of the... I can't remember. It's, it's somebody who's a Twitch streamer for... She does a lot of stuff with, with Wizard of the Coast and D&D streaming. And she posted, or it came out from an internal leak, I think it was multiple places, that the only metrics that they're using to watch what's going on is how many people cancel their D&D Beyond subscriptions because it's the only real thing that they can go up front. And when she posted that on Twitter... So many people went to cancel their D&D up beyond pages, it actually crashed the website. Yep. Okay. So the reaction was swift on the Twitterverse, which is not really a real place anyway to me, but I, I have my own issues with TikTok Twitter. as well also had a huge campaign of so many people calling for this as yeah. well. Because it looked like the, um, it, it, the, the way it was written now, I'm not, I'm not downplaying it too, because some of the stuff, the way that it was written in the new... OGL was you it would only cover print materials like you can only publish new things as print materials so what happens to fantasy grounds or roll 20 or any of the other virtual tabletop sites 
maybe they're not even allowed to create at all unless they sign a specific deal with Wizards of the Coast. Right. Um, nobody knew exactly what was going to be able to happen with any of the, the podcasts who make money off the podcasts or video. Uh, critical role. Critical role streaming. All that sort of stuff was up in the air. Um, now, there's so many things with even digital artists, right? You, the OGL said that you, the original version, you could not use Wizard of the Coast storylines or their characters. But you can make your own storyline, your own characters, right? But there are digital artists who, you know, art has different rules from mm-hmm. some different stuff out there, again, about copyright, about what's fair use of art and what's not. And the new document locked that down. Yes. Bad. There was so, no, no wiggle room for that. Now, one other thing I want to note is this is a leak of a draft. We probably, as we'll get to here in a little bit, uh, we'll probably never know what the actual final version look like yeah what this was was something as you said sent to people saying hey we're going to be making this change we want you to be aware of it ahead of time and we want to be able to work with you to make it better please give us your feedback exactly at least that's what watsi says they exactly. they were fishing for feedback from their partners and then they said that they the next step after getting feedback from the partners they wanted to get feedback from the public it never made it that far because one of the partners leaked it, and then all hell broke loose. So there's been multiple different events that Wizard of the Coast had planned to reveal the actual uh, new OGL, and they postponed and postponed and postponed until the point where we just this week got news that they will not be... Yeah, they they will try and have Friday be the day that it all comes out, but they are hearing the audience and has already made a a comment of we know we rolled a one on this one this was a failure and we recognize that yeah um now the uh and they already as part of that too they already said there will be no royalties they they said there will be a new ogl mm because we still have to protect against nfts and blockchains and these things so we are going to make an update however we are already removing the royalties part of it and we know we're hearing you from you about this other content as well so now, let's 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 shift a little. Let's take a half a step to the side. What have the partners done since then? Paizo and Green Ronin and a bunch of the other ones like Evil Hat and places like that. They came out and they said, "We can no longer trust Hasbro as a corporate owner of the OGL to not make this to you know they're a corporation and they're going to make decisions for their corporation which is mm-hmm. you know basically what we've been talking about so they made a new version of it and it's going to be called orc um i don't know open remember. resource center or something center, like yeah that. something like yeah. that so um they announced they're going to make a new one and all of Pathfinder, Starfinder, everything Paizo makes, Green Ronin, Goodman Games, all those companies, they're already all signed on that they're going to make their new one. And Paizo even went a step further saying, we don't believe any corporate entity should own this. So they're looking for a way to say, how do we make the owner of this something like the Linux Foundation, where it's a nonprofit group? Because, you know, Paizo, of course, um, the ownership of Paizo is at a certain point of they're going to want to sell the company and move on to a new generation. And who's to say that generation doesn't make bad decisions as well? Exactly. So they're trying to figure out with this new Orc license, how do we create 
an open license that protects the creators, that protects the source content, but also stops some of the bad things that were legitimate, right? The NFTs and stuff like that. How do we create this in such a way and create a irrevocable trust maintained by a nonprofit to keep this thing going forward? To the point where so many people went to that page to try to sign up for that, they crashed the Paizo website as well. So the, the, the reaction has been very swift going back and forth on that. that and so it, now everybody, is OGL even relevant anymore for anything new going forward? Or is everybody just going to publish under Orc instead? And a lot of different game companies have said, we're just going to make our own D&D system. We used to, uh, not D&D system, but new RPG system. We used to only make D&D products, but now we're going to make our own games. And quite a few companies have come out and said that's their that's their direction now. The first big one I saw was Cobalt Press. Correct. Who has made tons of, of fun things over the years, and they got a new flagship <laughs> coming out. It's called Black Flag. And they, Project Black Flag, and so... Um, it sounds like they're creating their own system. So they're like, we're making all of our own system. We're making all of our stuff. We're not going to be beholden to anybody anymore. We'll, we'll see where we go from there. Which, looking now, after everything is said and done, may not be the worst thing in the world for Wizards of the Coast. Because one of the things I think that they really wanted to do with this OGL was control the product. Yep. Control D and D. I don't think they intended for when they made the OGL. I don't think they intended for fairly large corporations now to be completely dependent in using their their product. Correct. I mean, they the, you know TSR legitimately created this entire system, and then everybody just gets to make money on it. I, I don't know as a corporate as an as an owner. I get the fact that all these creators have made all this amazing content, but at the same time. I put a lot of time and money and effort into making this, and everybody else just gets to make money off of it. That has been—it's it's a weird conundrum when you think about it. That has been one of the the things that I've been scared to bring up with people when I talk about this topic is the fact that they—I feel like they kind of have a right to this. So it's—it's it's almost as if the the analogy I keep thinking in my head is, if in Bloomington a new store opened up called Blue Baboon, and Blue Baboon was a game store. And what they did was they walked over to Red Raccoon, they bought board games from you, and then they brought it over to their shop, and they just had a different layout, a, a different theme for the for the shop, but they were still selling Red Raccoon games yeah. that they purchased from you. Does at that point, you know, there there's kind of a feeling of, well, where's where am I making my cut in this? Technically it's legal. Technically, yeah, you can do that, but at the same time, you're you're directly trying to compete with me while also using something using me as a resource yeah. for competing with me. Yeah, and no, I I get that side of it. I really do too. And and I would be ticked off as well. Yeah. Right. It's so it's it's like where's the line? Where is I don't and I and I don't know. I don't know. There's so many edge cases of well, of course I'd want this person to do that. Well, no, wait, they're now they're doing you know, and I I keep going back and forth in my head of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Could somebody take my logo, right, and mm -hmm. that I spent a not insignificant amount of money having a, an artist create 
for the store to use could somebody take their logo and and make some changes to it minor changes to it and start selling red raccoon branded merch i'd be pretty pissed off about it technically they could make that an nft and then all of a sudden you don't own something that you and same thing kind of with quentin tarantino like he, he was trying to get the nfts of the movies he owned but then technically the movie company that helped produce it actually owns the movie it was only he was the writer and director so it becomes this kind of weird and there's a lot of stuff too where you hear like okay taylor swift bought her catalog back of all her songs yes and uh who did i see one yesterday john fogarty right john fogarty has made all these amazing music for like 40 something years at this point and and he just finally said, I never thought I would be able to pull it off, but I got the rights back and I own all my own music again. And yeah, I never yeah, thought masters. I'd, yeah, he got he owns all his own masters again. And um, so I don't know, there man, intellectual property law is such a crazy nightmare of of blah. And so I don't even know where to go other than say blah. Yeah, no joke. But I going back to what I was saying, I'm wondering if this is kind of cleaned up accidentally a problem that maybe D&D Wizards of the Coast wasn't planning on it fixing this way, but now all of a sudden their competition is moving in totally different directions away from them, allowing them to focus on their own content now. There's going to be these other RPG systems, but as you have said, you know... D&D still outsells everything else by a factor of 10 to 1. Yep. Period. I'm not saying I agree with that. I am telling you the reality of what happens that even though you might see a Kickstarter and says that this, this uh, you know, a thousand people, two thousand people back this Morkborg book or whatever, um, which is really cool and amazing system, that is a drop of water in the ocean compared to D&D. And, um, the, the, you know, uh, a friend of mine has a game store in Manchester, England. His name is Dave Salisbury and his store is called Fanboy 3. And Dave writes this stuff, and he's like, you know, the 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 um, the eight hundred pound gorilla is in the room. Already ate all the bananas, and he thinks you might have some bananas, so he wants yours. It was such a really good way yeah. of talking about yeah. this whole thing. And um, I wish these other systems. You know, we've talked about before. Magical Kitty Save the Day is the number two selling RPG system in the store. Number two is still a very far way behind number one. And that's true of every game store owner I talk about. And and the real difference is is marketing. Yep. Hasbro has, has the ability to do marketing on a level that small vendors and brands can't compete with. I think technically nationwide, I think Pathfinder might be the number two system in terms of sales units, but Pathfinder even then is still, you know, Okay, Pathfinder is probably one of those twenty companies. Maybe was Pathfinder a ten million dollar company, mm-hmm. and and Magic was one point two billion. I mean, that's a that's a big that's a big number, right? And 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 D and D is this massive thing. I mean, hell, My Little Pony is bigger than 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 Paizo, Paizo, right? Yeah. So there's a massive difference there. We want the underdogs to win. I think that's an American thing that we always want the underdog to win. But do Hasbro getting to move forward, D and D getting to move forward and do their own thing with everybody else off doing their own stuff is is anybody even are they even going to notice in the future? Exactly, and and that brings it to another interesting topic too. So we're talking about this. We're sitting and we're talking about this on Red Raccoon Radio, right? People are talking about it on YouTube. People are talking about it on TikTok. Okay, 
it is the current fervor of all things that are atrocious that says, oh my God, this is so horrible about this. 99% of the people that step foot into the doors at Red Raccoon Games are going to have never heard about the fact that the rest of us who are really into this hobby and we're passionate, we love this thing, they don't even know. Yep. So all these parents that are coming into the store because their kid's playing at the Junior High Game Club, um, they don't know any about this. The, the Junior High kids don't know any about this. As adults, we have a hard time understanding the property law that we're talking about. Exactly. Junior High kids are going to understand it? I don't think so. Um, and to me, this is, you know, and I hate, I hate the fact, you know, that um, I feel like Hasbro, and that's why I keep referring to it as Hasbro versus Wizards of Coast, because has, they're getting their marching orders from Hasbro. I, th- I feel like Hasbro tried to do a money grab along the way of, of, they were trying to fix some things they needed to fix, and then somebody in the room went, well, actually, while we're doing this... Let's sneak this in let's and see, see what happens. Let's slide this through here. They're trying to do a money grab there with our whole comment on monetizing things. Um, but most of the world is never going to know about this, and I think, you know... I, I, I unfortunately think that in a year from now, we're going to remember this, and most people are not even going to know what we're talking about when we bring it up. Because we have heard, from what I understand in some of the readings that I've looked at in the news, this is not the first time they've tried to do something like this. It's just the latest of an incarnation of, of money grabs that yeah. has been occurring. Yeah, and, and you know what? Maybe what happens with this is that the, the 5% of gamers that really know this and are really ticked off about this, they, they, get, they break out of their mold and they try some new systems. Because we've got a ton of really cool RPG systems at the store, and I would love to talk to them and tell them and say, check out, you know, I was trying to explain to somebody yesterday City of Mist, and I don't understand it as well as you do. And I'm like, I wish John was here, he could tell you this, but... Here's what I understand about City of Mist. Here's what I know about um, Delta Green, which is really X-Files, the role-playing game. And Kids on Bikes is really Stranger Things, the role-playing game. And and all these cool systems we have, Alice is Missing and, and um, oh, I play Dialect missing so and all much. these cool yes. indie publishers and stuff, as well as Pathfinder, Starfinder, Call of Cthulhu, Blade Runner, um, Shadowrun, um, Octoon Cthulhu. I mean, there's a ton of such these amazing systems out there that that don't maybe get the attention that they should, and maybe these publishers will get some attention now. It would be nice to see a little bit more of that disparity, but I also think that when I tell somebody that I'm playing an RPG, no matter what the RPG is, I know a safer bet is to say I'm playing D&D, because now D&D is synonymous with playing a role-playing game. Yeah. it's not my, It might not be what you're playing, but if you say, oh, I'm going to play an RPG... People might look confused, but if you tell them I'm going to play D and D, they already have. A they think they know what you're head. talking about now. Yeah, exactly. They think they have a touchstone point. It's just like um, you know, and sometimes that can be good and bad for a brand, right? Exactly. Jello brand gelatin, right? You know, um, aspirin, bear aspirin versus um, ibuprofen or whatever mm-hmm. acetaminophen. Uh, sometimes it can go too far where you lose your brand identity, but in this case, as of right now. They're the cultural zeitgeist. They've they've got it. In this podcast, we even use the term Google it. Yeah, exactly. Google, yeah. Google became a verb. Exactly. D and D is not a verb yet because maybe it just doesn't roll off the tongue. Can you D and Ding it? D and Ding. That know. that's going to be one of those words. The more that you say it, the more you lose it. Like in your head, like it yeah. loses all meaning. And yeah. Another here. All right, I'm going to go tangent on us just for a fun Bring word. Bring it on. Why? 
is why when you use a broom, are you sweeping? Why are you not brooming? I I was hearing this the other day. (laughs) And yeah, it's a brain breaker. Yeah. But what we do know is D&D is not stopping anytime soon. Like we said, movie, TV show, new books are coming out. I'm actually really excited um, I, I'm I would I would just say the last thing I would say is I would love a world where they spun Wizards of the Coast off, and Hasbro was not part of it anymore. That would this, be this is exactly the kind of thing that a lot of people were concerned about when Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast. I would love it if they spun it off. But at the same time, would we be having such a possibly quality movie coming out without well, Hasbro? They, they bought what one Entertainment is that yep. was that the name of the they bought a movie house to make their own content exactly. So would we be seeing it? There's give and take with it, and yeah. I agree. If if given autonomy, we're going to get a Magic the Gathering TV show as well, right? A Netflix show. I haven't heard that. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a cartoon. Interesting. Uh, well, Car- Critical Role is technically it's season, second season, season two, two is coming out, soon. and it's based on D and D. So I think that. I mean, I'm. I know that some some things have been kind of flops. Like I'm I'm playing Spelljammer with you. We have our next session next Sunday. I don't know if you realize that or not, but it is coming up. Uh, I put things in the calendar so I don't have to remember when they're happening. That's how you have to work at, <laughs> at this age. I'm realizing this more and more now. Um, but they're they're coming out with a new book, which is going to just be a bunch of heists that you can all do, like, one after the other or inject in a campaign. Keys for the Golden Vault. Yes. And which I'm, is totally a, a tie-in to the movie. Absolutely. The whole movie is, we're a bunch of thieves... And then they're coming out with a book, which is, this is a bunch of heists for thieves to do. Yep. Yeah. And then after that, it looks like we're going to be going to the realm of the giants. Um, and we're going to be looking at a little bit more prehistoric uh, viewpoint of, of D&D. Because I believe there's going to be more, like, I think barbarians can become dinosaurs now or something like that. There's, like, shape-shifting into to more prehistoric beasts okay, that are I available. Okay, I read that part of it. So. Yes. It's, it came out in some of the Unearthed Arcana that they were doing a few months back. Yeah. That this giant content was going to be also linked to... Uh, okay, this is going to be a deep cut. Some of you know <laughs> We do those here. Yes. Some of you know He-Man, and it is sword and sorcery together. And, and swords and, and magic and sorcery. So it's all kind of going on at the same time. There is actually... My name is Adam. Exactly. There was originally going to be a spinoff of He-Man before it started losing popularity that was supposed to be following the adventures of Hero, which was the first sorcerer of Eternia, but it was going to take place in pre-Eternia, where all the dinosaurs were around and uh, giants were still running around on the planet, and it was before there was the Dark Zone and Eternia. I'm getting weeds here. I know. Like, I'm losing (laughs) all of our audience. Uh, but this is kind of that feeling that I'm getting of it's going to be like, you're still going to have sword and sorcery, but with dinosaurs involved in, in okay. this kind of prehistoric realm where these giants are still prolific. Um, so Almost sounds a little Conan. A little bit. Yes, it's a little bit probably closer to that. So I think that that is, is a sign that, you know, they're not... They're doing just what they have planned to do. This was a step. They have actually made some changes and, you know, taken back from it. But this was never going to be the end-all, be-all for them. They were just trying to do something, and they're going to proceed onward no matter what. Yeah. I mean, that's... In, well, we'll see how it shapes out, too. I, I still I still love D&D. I still love the system. I love the friends and the family that gather, gather around. But I'll be honest with you. I'm like, okay, well... 
I was getting ready to reboot my campaign and see if we could get that going again. We, um, we everybody just made eighth level and finished the segment we were in. And now I'm kind of like looking at some of the other books on the shelf, like, okay, maybe is now the time to try out the Dune RPG or I kind of really want to get Broken Compass to the table, right? Okay. So okay. I'm, I'm going to have to del- delve into the books and finish reading everything so I have a better idea of how like the Broken Compass system works. Because have you looked at that one? Broken Compass is the one I where have. basically you can be... It's Indiana it's, Jones, more kind of like pulp action based. A bit. Yeah, Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, Uncharted. If you're old enough, Alan Quartermain. Yep. Um, Ducktales. There's literally a book. One of the one of the one of the books is called Luck Tales. Um, uh, Doc Samson, Man of Bronze. Yeah. Yeah, all that sort of stuff too. So I kind of I kind of want to give it a shot. Okay. I don't know. Okay. We, we might have to get that to the table now. I just finally got a character that I really liked with a storyline I was really following, but that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. We can do something completely different, completely forget about everything I've been trying to do. Um, Maybe we'll have to do both. Well, speaking of new things, okay. let's talk about the new hotness. Okay. Now, uh, already D&D has released some really interesting stuff for the new hotness and seeing how we're talking about them. Yeah. Uh, they have the transforming D20s. Yeah, so they're kind of like... Now, if you're a millennial, they are uh, Bakugan or Bokugans. Yes. But they're they're D20s that transform. Currently, we've got a red dragon, a black dragon, and a beholder. And then the next one supposed to come out pretty soon is an owlbear. Because, of course, owlbear from the movie trailer, right? Red dragon, black dragon, and beholder all in the movie trailer. Um, so we, yeah, those are they're kind of fun. I mean, everybody that's got them so far is really enjoying them to the point where I just I, I wrote to our guy Friday like, can I order more? Do you have more? Can I get more? Because we're I think we're gonna run out on those. As someone who's older than a millennial, I'll tell you, it reminds me more of the the good times when Happy Meals had weird transforming figures. Like you could get a milkshake that transformed into a robot. Yeah, that kind of gives me that vibe as well. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Where it's just the this fries turned into one guy, and the, the 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 milkshake turned into a different one. Exactly. So that always reminded me of that's what I always got from what was that show that was on Cartoon Network with the 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 fry and the meatball and the the Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yes, that's what I always. Yes, that is a road we do not have time to walk down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. And then there's we got we got characters figures of the original cartoon, the D and D cartoon. I did see that the Archer and the Amazon were available. Yeah, I don't know Diana what their and are. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, I can't remember his name. He's the stereotypical white blonde haired superhero. So Aaron or uh, yeah, Alex Eric, or no, Eric. Eric? Eric? Eric sounds right. No, Eric is the Cavalier. Oh, with the shield. With the Cavalier, with the shield. Sheila is the thief. Presto is the wizard. And Bobby is the little barbarian with Uni the unicorn. Gotcha. Yeah, so we have, we're actually, well, we already sold out of Bobby and Uni. I do have those on order trying to get more Bobby and Uni. So we got those figures. We got, we also got, again, a direct tie into the movie. We got um, some really fun um, gelatinous cubes. Yes. And you can actually put a character in there, and it's designed so that the character's arm can stick out like they're trying to get out the other side of the gelatinous cube. So that's it's just kind of fun. Uh, I, speaking of new RPGs, the Avatar The Last Airbender RPG uh-huh. has come out. And Avatar Legends. Excuse me, Avatar Legends is what it's called, because you can play in any time period. You have like five different generations of from the show of... NPCs and characters and everybody's built in. And Correct. The versions that we have right now 
are the Kickstarter versions. They're going to cost a little bit more, but you get a ton of extra content. And then the retail release ones, I think, are coming out like late March. Uh, I have not gotten a chance to crack it open, but I did talk to Anna before the podcast. Absolutely loved him. She is all in 110%. She feels like it has all of these nice feelings that she's had from the Alien RPG, which she's really enjoyed, which I believe is from the same producer. Uh-huh. But there is a fumble mechanic. Magpie. That, yes, yes. They also did the Root RPG. Oh, okay, yes. Uh, there's a fumble mechanic that she says just really makes the book interesting and have more of that bending flavor uh, okay. of you know sometimes you might break up a rock but then that rock's going to slam into your friend because you broke it up and you didn't take the hit or something along those lines um so that i did see on there as well um i'm trying to think of anything else that really caught well we got eye. a bunch of new puzzles in because january is, is national puzzle month and um i think there are a lot we have a lot of puzzles because there are there are people who are figuring out again we have a greater variety of puzzles sitting on the shelf than I I don't know anywhere else in Bloomington Normal at least that has as many puzzles as we do. There are other people that sell puzzles they just don't have as many different ones to choose from. Jamie so, and I, f- I did just order a bunch of new puzzles last night too as part of that late night. I was about to say stuff. I do feel like secretly you have made a game store just so you can secretly sell puzzles because I feel like there's a passion in you about puzzles that I've never quite figured out, but it's definitely there. Let me, I can, I can tell you real fast. You want to know why? Yeah. Puzzles have a beginning and an end. You have a puzzle. You can say, I have finished this puzzle. It is complete. I have done. Kelly and I have very, very few things in our life that ever have an ending. <laughs> so, it's always like that. the every like day that. there's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But puzzles, we can sit down and we can do a puzzle. And, and um, we're so we didn't tell you guys this. We're actually recording this one at my house right now. And we're literally sitting next to an entire shelf full of puzzles. And they're all, well, not all of them. Most of them are geeky, nerdy puzzles with fantasy and turtles and dragons and everything on there. I even got puzzles I bought. And I had to import from the UK because they're not sold in America because they're very specific to my favorite author forever, uh, Terry Pratchett, and they're Discworld-specific puzzles. But um, puzzles, we when we finish a puzzle, we tend to leave it on the table where we can look at it for two or three days and go, we did that. We, yeah. we finished that one. We yeah. did that one. So, so yeah, I, I do love puzzles, and, and it's something that my brain can chill out and turn off and then, like, the 97,000 things going through it. And I can just do a puzzle for an hour. It's about all I can do at one time, though. That's fair. I, I know that we had, um, myself, my wife, had friends, two other couple friends that we had. So the six of us would get together. We decided we were all going to do a puzzle together, but quickly realized only one person out of each of the pairings actually liked to do puzzles. So the three of us that didn't like to do puzzles went off and like did something else, and the other three did puzzles. But it was a great bonding experience just between friends. Like, And we have that... We glued it. We put it up on the wall. It's like a, a, a staple piece inside of our house that we are always proud of to, yeah. to have. Well, and we've got we've got a couple that we do puzzles with on a regular basis that we will get together and everybody will bring some food. So we we have dinner. Um, we can do a um, five hundred piece puzzle. It takes us about an hour for the four of us. We can do a thousand piece puzzle in about two and a half hours. So we were doing a lot of the escape room puzzles from Robinsberger, 
because we could do two hours, we would have the puzzle done, another hour to do all the logic puzzles and solve the mystery inside of the puzzle as well. And three hours, like we'd go over about six, we'd head home about nine, and everybody was happy. We enjoyed ourselves and had a good time and dinner and enjoyed time with friends. Any night that you walk away with a story is a successful game night, in my opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what are some of the reasons they might want to come into the store this week to check out all that new hotness, Jamie? Oh, man. So uh, we're coming. We're staring down the pipe at so much stuff happening. Um, See, today is uh, Sunday the 14th. 15th? 15th. 15th. Okay. So um, this next Friday coming up, we are going to see the release of the next Pokemon set, uh, Crown Zenith. Every podcast. I feel like every podcast, (laughs) there's a new adjective and a new adverb or something put together. Crown Zenith, yes. And it is the last of the Sword and Shield sets, right? Um, It's a special set, and it's going to dribble out over the course of there's three separate like mini waves so every two weeks some new stuff will release from the set as we go along so that's this upcoming friday the following friday um we get we get to uh, the end of january and there's a puzzle tournament coming up it'll be on a sunday and it's a speed tournament where we give everybody here's the same 500 piece puzzle everybody does it they do a race whatever team finishes first um, each winner of that team will win a puzzle as a prize. I don't know why I see fingerless gloves being needed for this sport. I can't tell you, but I feel like that would be an appropriate wear. The last time we had a big one of these, uh, it was an idea that we got from Ravensburger. They're like, do you want to do this? We're like, hell yeah, we we'll do that. It sounds fun. And um, there were other gamers in the back of the room. I think there was Age of Sigmar people playing on a Sunday, and they were kind of in the back of the room. We had the puzzle people up at the card tables in the front of the room. And... When I said go, the level of the room went quiet, but the level of like intensity was palpable as everybody just focused and everybody in there. And a couple of the the Age of Sigmar folks were like, it was a little creepy and intimidating (laughs) at the same time. Like it was just like all of a sudden this hush, and and then like all you hear was faint rustling as they're like flipping pieces out and flipping them over and stuff. And so it was it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, so we got that coming up. We've got a release coming up soon of the next Magic set, and that's going to be called Phyrexia All Will Be One. Spoilers for that start this week. Um, the pre-release is not till the first weekend of February, so we have that coming. We just scheduled a big Magic event called a regional qualifier, an RCQ, for um, Magic, and it's going to be a format of Pioneer. We got that coming up. There's a couple of private parties where people are renting for birthday parties. I think there's a 30th um, birthday party coming up. I probably shouldn't have said that on the podcast. <laughs> the odds of that person listening to this podcast are slim. However, um, uh, I apologize to his wife in advance if, if, if that's a thing I just did. Um, and there's just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff coming up that we're just really trying to focus, hyper-focus on making sure every event comes off well. I'm also in the process of writing new... uh, We're going to revamp how we do Pokemon in-store play completely at the store. Um, And hopefully we're going to get that launched for February, including a weekly Pokemon Kids Club. It'll be like an after-school club where they can come for a couple of hours. And we're going to really focus on teaching kids how to play Pokemon. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, so that's a couple of the things. There's so much stuff going on right now. And you can always check the calendar on redraccoongames.com to see when all of those yeah, events are available. Just when you get to the website, just click on events. Bam, whole big calendar. Take a All look. the stuff. And with that, our episode comes to a close. I'd like to thank Jamie for joining me today. And if you want your chance to talk about your tabletop with him or any of the other gameologists on staff, come and find them at Red Raccoon Games, located in downtown Bloomington, Illinois, where not only do you sell games, but if you are the type that loves organization, uh, many of the games that you have in stock actually have organizers that you can buy and keep your games in nice quality order. Isn't that correct, Jamie? Uh, yeah, especially the big game on its way. We got confirmation that Frosthaven shipped. We're just waiting for it. And Gloomhaven and Frosthaven, cut. The, each of them have so many pieces, they take like 35, 40 minutes to set it up. Yep. And a game organizer can make it like 5 or 10 minutes. It's vitally important. Uh, so I highly suggest that. Uh, I want to thank Jillian, Jillian Mesner for the use of our theme music. And feel free to tell us how we're doing by leaving a comment in the podcast app of your choice. Or come right to the source by emailing us at info at redraccoongames.com. Which, by the way, Tim, thank you for sending in, in that message saying that our sound is better. I did try and improve the volume a little bit. Uh, and I'm always trying to get better. So any other suggestions that you guys have, please throw them our way. Uh, and if you throw the word podcast into the subject line of that email, it'll make sure that we get our eyes on it where it needs to be. Yeah. Until next time, keep playing. Bye. Bye.